Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Abby Norman. She's the pastor at New Hope United Methodist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Abby was recently featured on the nationally known Startup Podcast, focusing on what it's like to be a female church planter. She joins us today to talk about how the church planting process has created an evolution in her sermon preparation and writing. Well, our guest today is Abby Norman. She's the pastor at New Hope United Methodist Church in the Atlanta area. Abby, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we like to begin by having our guests tell us a little bit about themselves as well as their ministry and its context. Well, I am the head pastor and the only pastor at New Hope United Methodist Church, which is a very small Methodist community um, on the southeast quadrant of Atlanta. Um, that is experiencing a lot of change and will be experiencing a lot of change as the city grows. I am a third year student at Candler, so I'm a second year, or I'm a second career pastor. I um, am a licensed local with United Methodist Church, but prior to this, I was a teacher of English for ninth and tenth graders for nine years in the Atlanta area. Oh, cool. New Hope is a planted or replanted or purposely revitalizing community. So there is a lot of creative energy there, and we are really looking at what other thing can a church be besides a Sunday worship service? Mm. Because there are a lot of those in Atlanta, yeah. and frankly, we don't, we don't need another one. But there are other kinds of things that a church could be that could incorporate a Sunday worship service that New Hope could be. And we're looking at a lot of those things. Well, I was recently introduced to you and your ministry through an episode of the Startup Podcast. Uh, They did a season on church planning and followed around a gentleman who serves in sort of the more conservative evangelical setting that maybe typical folks would think of when they think of church. But then as a follow-up episode, they featured you as a clergywoman uh, in the church planting role and church revitalization role. And I'll put a link in the show notes to make sure folks check it out. It's such a great episode. It's it's really a treat. And as I told you, I was listening to the first third of the episode as you were kind of struggling with your call to ministry and, and screaming, you need to become a Methodist. And then they revealed that you were a Methodist. So that was kind of cool. But um, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of your story and and also how you ended up connecting with with Startup? Yeah, sure. So I um, was, I moved to Atlanta. God is ridiculous and wonderful. I moved to Atlanta with my husband when I was 22. I just graduated from college, and we felt called to plant a church in Atlanta. We thought that's really what God wants us to do. And we moved down to help start a church plant out of the church we went to in college, which was a it, an alliance, a Christian Missionary Alliance church. So we got married while I was in college. We were attending monthly alliance. We realized, okay, we think God wants us to move to Atlanta. So we just started telling people we were moving to Atlanta. Got provided really good jobs. It was great. The church plant that we thought we were planting never started. Mm. It never even got off the ground. (laughs) So um, that person was like, hey, we're not ready to hit start yet, and I'm out of town a lot for my day job, and blah, blah, blah. 
so you should hang out with this other guy. I think you'd really like him. So we went to church and we did not know at the time that it was a Southern Baptist church. I, I hadn't, I was more conservative than I am now, but I, but even then, um, I knew Southern Baptists were a little more conservative than I was comfortable with, but we loved the people. They were so kind. We were new to Atlanta. My husband was working as a debate coach. He was gone every weekend. I would, I mean, I would stay at the pastor's house with our dog because they knew I didn't like to be alone. And they were like, yeah, come on. Um, and the pastor's wife, I would like hang out with her at her kid's soccer field and go grocery shopping with her. And it was, um, it really was a second family to us. And so as we were in that church, just we slowly became a little more liberal and a little more liberal um, in our belief system and our theology. Yeah. And the other thing is that I felt a deep call to get my words out. And so I started blogging because there was really no place for women um, to preach. And so I started blogging and that went better than anything I could have expected, I'll say. Um, And so I really threw a lot of my energy there. I learned more about um, a wider Christian belief system. So people can crap on Twitter all they want to, (laughs) but like, I got to listen in on really interesting theological conversations that challenged me and challenged the ways I believe and made me realize like, you are not crazy. You are, you have not lost your mind, right? Other people think this too. This is actually a valid Christian thought and in very many ways is a, is a sort of ancient thought. Yeah. That was really helpful to me. So I told my pastor that I thought maybe I was called to preach, and he um, just kept kicking the can down the road and and um, kept being like, well, maybe one day, well, I, you know, you can lead in other ways. You can, and I was like, well, are women allowed in the pulpit? And he's like, basically said theoretically, yes, but in practice, it, it literally never happened, and that church no longer exists, and so, like, literally never happened. Mm. And, um, when I was like, well, are you aware that you sometimes don't have anybody female up there? Um, you know, I was talking, we were in Atlanta. He, he was very conscious of the fact that he was a white guy in Atlanta and he was very purposeful about bringing people to preach that were not white, right? So he recognized that importance of representation. And so I was like, hey, do you realize you don't have any women up there sometimes, blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, well, you're thinking of this from the perspective of a woman, but Mm. I'm thinking of this from the perspective of a person. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I was like, I'm out. Uh, Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. So... But we loved it there, and my husband was in graduate school. I mean, we just loved the people, and my husband was in graduate school, and we didn't want to lose our community, and we were probably going to leave Atlanta when he graduated anyway, and all of these things. So we stayed, and we stayed, and we stayed until um, we just couldn't stay anymore. Um, But that 
interaction and also the the fact that I really feel like I was led on for a very long time mm. led me to really love this the work that Church Clarity is doing. Yeah. So do you know them? I do, yeah. I think they're brilliant. So they're just like, hey, believe whatever you want, but you should be clear about it. Like, if you're not going to be gay affirming, then just tell us. And if you are, then tell us. And if you don't want women in the pulpit or you don't think women can lead, then say that. And so um, I was connecting with them on Twitter because I was like, yes, this is so important. Um, They, at the time, were only doing uh, views on sexuality and gender in the church. I was like, also, this this thing completely happened to me as a woman. And they were like, oh, so they called me, and I told them uh, my story. And I guess it is kind of wild the way it worked out for me. And then um, they were like, hey, we're not ready to do anything, but someone else in our network needs to hook up with a female church planner. Can they talk to you? And so I was like, sure. So that's how I ended up on the Startup Podcast. Well, that leads to my next question. One of the parts of your episode that was so poignant for me was the fact that uh, your former pastor would occasionally share pieces of your writing from your blog uh, from the pulpit, but wouldn't allow you to share those words. So you kind of put it this way in the episode, my words could preach, but I could not at that church. And it makes me think of women like Beth Moore and others who write and teach and tweet and speak from the stage at gigantic conferences. They have all this incredible influence uh, within mm-hmm. denominations and church networks and communities that would never let her step into a pulpit. Um, and so, you know, I have my own thoughts and reasons, but I'd love to hear from you why for you specifically this last step of going from having influence uh, to being able to step into the pulpit officially to preach is, is so important for you and for your call. Hmm, that's a really good question because I was getting other opportunities so um, that were affirmed by that church. It's so It's so strange when I think about it. I had a opportunity to be a speaker at the local TEDx um, conference. I did that while I was at the more conservative church. They were excited. They prayed for me. They were really proud of me. And and this is something actually me and some of my uh, female bloggers talk about a lot, which I think is so strange. It's like I have um, a much larger audience than and had at the time a much larger audience, just more people, right, would read my words yeah. than were ever at that church. Right. And so it is interesting that it's, that it's important. And I think that it comes a lot down to my theology of what I think happens on a Sunday, right? Mm. So I think that, um, and I... I took hermeneutics with Ted Smith at Candler um, two years ago, and I was profoundly impacted by that class. If I could take it again, I would. If I could just take preaching again, just to get it all um, wash over me one more time, I would take it. It was that good. But I, he talked about um, the preaching moment being an embodied moment that's happening there in that space. Right. Exactly. Um, which is different, right. Than the digital moment. Now I, po- I do podcast my sermons and we have no technology. 
So that <laughs> what that entails for me right now is plugging a little microphone into my laptop and bringing it to church on Sundays and then like hiding it in the pulpit. Yeah, yeah. And then taking home and editing it. You know, there's no like video, there's no sound guy. No, this is totally a one-man band. Right. And so that podcast of my sermon which, if we had a week like we did last week and there are only 10 people there, will probably be heard by more people that way than was live on Sunday. I still think the preaching moment is in that space with those people. And so I think that preaching is a deeply embodied experience. And Internet writing is a deeply disembodied experience. Mm. And so they're very similar, and I can see how I've taken the skills that I developed as a blogger and then moving them into the preaching life, but they are very different things. Even if I take a sermon, and I'm not a manuscript preacher anymore— but even if when I used to take my manuscript and put it on my blog, that's a different thing. Yes, absolutely. Well, one of the first questions that we usually ask our guests has, has to do with their general approach to preaching, guiding principles, or even a mission statement. And you you seem to have touched on a little bit of this in your previous answer. Um, but part of the reason why I specifically wanted to have you here wasn't just to rehash the startup uh, episode, but you <laughs> talked about how um, being at this church plant, this replanting process, uh, that God is sort of relaunching the way that you're writing sermons. And so b- before we get into how it's changed, I'm wondering if there's anything that you feel has has uh, stayed foundational, anything that's similar from before uh, and now, uh, or is God just completely turning everything upside down? No, I think that it um, that it is very much the same. So I, like I said, my background is that I, I've been blogging since, Gosh, my youngest just turned seven, and I remember blogging about being pregnant with her. So I've been blogging for eight years. And so um, I think that I naturally sort of compare it to that because there are a lot of similarities, right? Uh, Yeah. So even like the length of a blog post and the length of a sermon are roughly similar, um, or they are for me at least. Or, or I tend to think about, you know, people will be like, okay, you need to preach for this many minutes. And I'll be like, okay, that's two blog posts that can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think about it like that, you know, when someone gives you a word count and in seminary, it's like, this paper needs to be a thousand words. I'm like, okay, that is a blog post. I know how to do that. Yeah. And so I do kind of frame everything like blogging. So the interesting thing that's just really different is that you are with your audience mm. when you are... Um, preaching, and that they they don't get to self-select so much. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So there are people who, you know, are like, well, that even like that blog isn't for me because I blog about a number of things. So I know people that I know were like, I love it when you blog about Jesus. I wish you would stop blogging about race. Mm. I really love what you have to say about parenting. Don't love what you have to say about feminism. And so they just skip those. And that's not something that you get to do, right? When you show up to the Sunday morning service as a parishioner, 
you know, gets to be like, well, I'm going to see what she has to say. And then I'm not, that's not going to be for me. No, like that's the sermon you get. Yeah. So I think in some ways I have a lot more, I think about my audience a lot more um, when I'm preaching because I think that I, I preach in that time, in that space for those people. And when I'm praying about preaching, it's what do these people need to hear from this text in this moment? And when I'm blogging, it's just like, well, what do I have to say? Yeah, yeah. Well, what I want to say very often is not what these people need to hear from this text in this moment. Very often, I don't want to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those are those are fun Sundays when you you're getting to Wednesday and Thursday and you kind of feel like you know where God's leading you're like I I really don't want to go this direction but you know it just I can't shake it. Right, this Sunday I'm preaching about the the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. And basically what I have to say is like, hey y'all, this is going to cost us something. Mm. Why would you lead with that? You know, salespeople <laughs> do not lead with that. They're not like, hey, so this car is really expensive, and it's going to be a sacrifice for you to have it. Like, nobody says that. That gets flipped in at the end or is understood, you know? Right. But Jesus is like, uh, FYI, this this is going to cost you something. So let me know if you want in. I'm like, Jesus, like, that is not marketable. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, obviously, we'll be praying for you. Best of luck. This will air after you preach that, but, you know, I hope all goes well for you on Sunday. <laughs> well, how does preaching fit into your pastoral identity and in the hierarchy of priorities and activities for you as a pastor, as a parent, as a seminary student? How does preaching fit into to your to-do list and your vocation? I think about it a lot, a lot because I love it. It's one of my very favorite things to do. I think that pastoral care is important from the pulpit. Um, I don't think that you, that can be your only thing, right? Mm. But I think it's an important part of pastoral care is just being aware of um, what you're saying in the pulpit and how you're presenting and whether or not you are making the people in the room feel like they matter, like it matters that they are there. I've sat in really, really big churches in really big sanctuaries, but it's clear to me that the pastor is preaching to the people on the internet, mm. you know? And it's just like, what, it, what am I even doing here? And I've sat in really small churches where it's clear to me that every, like the pastor is glad I showed up. Yeah. And so how do I, honor the space of the pulpit well, right? Is that I honor my people well. Are, are you a lectionary preacher? Like, are you having the text provided for you? Or did you sit down, you know, a month or two ago and decide these are what I'm doing for the next little bit? 
Um, usually I am a lectionary preacher. I think there's something really powerful about the lectionary. Um, I did elect though to go off lectionary for the bit. So we opened on September 9th and I preached the, um, the attitudes and talked about what does the kingdom of God look like and how can we be this right in East Atlanta. And then I am going through all the parables that talk about the kingdom of God. So last week I talked about, um, uh, this, the, the parable of the generous seller, which I just, I, I, it might be my favorite parable. I cannot get over how uninterested God is in being efficient. Yeah. Um, which is so funny because I'm telling you church planning, there's a reason the startup podcast, (laughs) right? Did church planning because they're like, we're just going to take this business model we're going to put it on a church. And for some people it works. Yeah. And there are really, really good things that I'm learning and that I've done and that are just smart tactics that churches should definitely do. And also businesses don't have a problem, right. With sort of not being accessible to everyone. Right. So there are just some like business things where if you, you put them onto a church, then that's just icky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so to, one of my first things is like, you know, God is really uninterested in efficiency. God is interested in like lots of chances. Well, you did uh, talk on Twitter about um, feeling like God was relaunching the way that you write a sermon uh, in the midst of this relaunching of the church. You wrote that it's uh, amazing and a little terrifying. Um, can you share with us <laughs> what that transition has looked like for you? Um, how do you compare what you do now uh, with what you used to do? And and what parts of it have been uh, terrifying and what parts have been amazing? Yeah, I used to be a manuscript preacher. So I would write out every word. And I would get the words just right, right? And I'm a blogger, and I yeah. love social media. And so, man, nailing a tweet is, like, so great, right? It's just, I mean, 280 characters, and I just nail it perfectly. Yeah. Um, that feels really good to me. I love that. And so, um, also, I was on a speech team in college, and the way that you compete in like persuasive speaking, for example, is you write out your speech and you perfect the words and then you memorize that 10 minutes worth of material and you perform it. And that was what I was most comfortable doing. And so that's what I was doing. Um, Prior to the relaunch, I would write out the whole sermon and then I would... um, perform it. I would read it. Um, I had a lot of eye contact, but it was still a word for word manuscript. Sure. Then I, because we were relaunching, we weren't meeting on Sunday. So I was not preaching every week. And in my hermeneutics class, we had preaching groups. And um, my TA said to me, I never tell anyone this. You you have to get off your manuscript. Like it's really holding you back. I was like, no, but the words are right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I like them. They're right there. They're yeah. not going to leave me. You know, it's for me, I don't think it is for everyone. For me, it was um, kind of a safety blanket. Hmm. 
Like, I know that the words are right here, and I know I will be okay if I say these words. And so it was a lot about comfort and safety for me. Church planning is not at all about comfort or safety. Right. At all, even a little bit. It's like, hey, let's do this crazy thing. Let's try this wild idea. And, um, and like, it might not work. <laughs> it's going to be exhausting and it's going to be hard and you're going to give it everything you have and you're going to think of it like a child and then it might not work. Okay, let's go. But that's how it is. So um, I moved from um, manuscript preaching to preaching off an outline and having a general idea of what I'm going to say and then in what order. But giving myself the freedom to fill in the spaces in the moment mm. and, and trusting that I, trusting the spirit in the moment that that is what I can fall back on. Like I can fall back on my outline, of course, but I can fall back. Like I, I can trust in the work that God is doing in me enough to know that the words will be there when they are supposed to. Mm -hmm. Now I still do just as much research. I do as much planning. I do as much, Thinking, I practice pieces that I think are, you know, that are going to come out. I, okay, this is the part where I'm going to do this. I'm going to practice that. And I very often write my transitions out because transitioning is where everybody gets stuck. But I can trust in the work of the Holy Spirit that I don't have to have every single preposition exactly right. Right. And that's been really, really good for me. Now, I don't think I'm disciplined enough to ever go totally note-free. I chase a lot of rabbits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's such an interesting um, transition because it seems like a lot of folks that go from manuscript, or, or I'll say the folks that I know that have gone from manuscript to preaching without notes— um, it's been either because it's something that they really wanted to do. Um, I guess you you being told like this is going to this is going to liberate you to communicate better with your congregation and not just you know it's the thing that we do now. You know, does that make sense? Like going from I'm doing this because everyone else is doing it, or I'm doing it because I idolize people who do it without notes. Um, I mean, because no. a, a manuscript I'm, preacher, all you have mm-hmm. to do is point to Barbara Brown Taylor and be like, look, she's probably one of the best preachers that's ever lived, and she reads every word, and it doesn't detract from it. Leave me alone. Right. And I would listen to her sermon on repeat. Yeah. I really, really resent people who are like, no, you definitely should do it this way. You definitely should do it that way. I know that what God was asking me to do, right, what? In this season, this is what I'm doing, and it's what I need to do, and it does allow me to communicate with my particular setting better. Exactly, exactly, and knowing that the pastor is is speaking to us in our language, because preaching is contextual, and and right. you know, preaching in Duke Chapel or you know, Chapel at Emory is different than preaching at a small restart church plant in a large urban city. So, um, you I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. 
I think you need to love the people you're preaching to as much as you love preaching. Oh, that's a good word. And I feel like some people love the people they're preaching to, but they don't love the preaching. That's hard. Yeah. And other people love the preaching, love the preaching. And I could easily fall into this, but could give or take the people that they're preaching to. (laughs) Exactly. And, and, and people know, people can tell. And I think that maybe I am very aware of that because I spent so many years in the classroom, which frankly, like is, I mean, I had, if you have 30 kids a day times five, I sat with 160 kids for an hour a day, every day for five days a week. Right. I mean, if I was lecturing, which I wasn't all the time, but there were days when I was, I was preaching five sermons a day. Now it was about, you know, Shakespeare, not the Bible, but it was, it was a lot. And those kids, ninth and 10th graders, um, would absolutely give me the benefit of like sitting there. I mean, they weren't perfect, but like they would give me a shot if they knew I was like really there with them. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And the first one is what is one of your favorite and or most challenging preaching experiences? My favorite and most challenging preaching experience ever happened this summer. Um, a week before we opened up at New Hope, I had the opportunity to, to preach a revival at Holy Temple Church in Atlanta, which is a historically black church um, in the same neighborhood as Eastside Church. And um, the night before, uh, Tim Lloyd preached, and he was the first white person to ever be in the pulpit. And then the next night I preached, and that was the first woman to ever be in the pulpit. Oh, wow. So there was a little bit of pressure. Um, and I just know the black church just has immense respect for the preaching moment. They are there for the preaching moment and you need to be there for the preaching moment too. Yeah. It's the pastor. And, um, it was a congregation that was very different from me. So most of the people were over the age of 60. Um, you know, nobody was white. Um, and I'm a 34-year-old white woman, and so I was nervous, and it's, but then um, it was awesome. It was the most fun I'd ever had preaching. And just because I don't often get an, a congregation who talks back to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I really love that, and I feed off it well. Um, I know it, it can shock other people, but I... I started teaching on the south side of Atlanta and they would talk back to me. My students would. And so it felt like home to me um, to have to be preaching in that environment. Um, And then what was just really, really powerful about it was that very many of the women came up to me almost in tears and were just like, thank you. And they had never felt represented in the pulpit before. Because I talked about motherhood. I talked about, um, I was preaching about revival. And so I was preaching John 3. And I was preaching about how uh, being born again can get really uncomfortable. 
And I think that as a woman who has given birth twice, like I have a unique perspective on being born again that I don't think is represented in the pulpit very often. Yeah. Um, and they, they were like, they were very impacted just by the embodiment of their story as like also a story that can preach. Well, do you have a preference for Christmas Eve or Easter? Oh, Easter. Oh my gosh. Because look, Christmas Eve, which I love, I love the Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve is not about the sermon. It is about the music. I think Christmas Eve is about the music. People want to come and sing all of the songs that they love. Yeah. I love Easter. Easter is my favorite holiday. And also just from the preaching preaching perspective, like uh, my husband laughs. He says that one of my sermon ticks is that he knows I'm really getting going when I exclaim, yo, this is good news. (laughs) Um, Because I don't want to get over it. Yeah. Like we've, we worship a resurrected God and I don't want to get over that. Yeah. Um, I was, when I was teaching, I was carpooling with someone who is not a Christian and had not had very many church experiences like at all in her life. And so she and I were talking about Easter, you know, and, um, she was like, so wait a minute. Like that, I mean, that's, this is like a symbol, right? This is just like a thing that you, that you think about what if this happened. And I was like, no, no. Like, I think Jesus is alive in Jesus' body. Yeah. Like right now. And she was like, that is wild. And I was like, (laughs) it is. It's totally wild. This story is totally insane. You know? And I don't want to get over that. And I think every year Easter, we should be like, oh my gosh, you guys, this is crazy. (laughs) Awesome. Well, who have been some of the most impactful preachers or non-preacher communicators in your life and why? Oh, well, I have to start with my speech coaches as the non-preacher communicators in my life. And that is because all three of them, my high school speech coach, Mrs. Brent Eifer, um, my college speech coaches, Jen Talbert was my freshman year coach, and then Mary Moore, sophomore, junior, and senior year, were all super fierce women who believed in my voice when I was in these conservative churches that were not so sure I could be preaching. Mm. So, right. So that was, and I talked, I think I talked about that on the startup podcast. I know I've talked about it before, but it was, it was a weird dichotomy to literally be coming home with trophies that were like, she's an amazing and being wildly affirmed as a very effective speaker and presenter outside of the church. But then in the church, people being really nervous about that. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, so those three, for sure, especially Mary Moore was the assistant coach my freshman year. And she, I came in, it was my first session with her. And she said, um, you know, that cute thing your voice goes when it goes up. And I was like, yeah. She said, yeah, I'm going to beat that out of you. (laughs) Yeah, and then she did. But, right, that is a thing that opinionated and smart women do as a defense mechanism. Mm. Because 
they are trying to be less intimidating. And so here were these women who were like, no, that is absolutely less intimidating. Say what you're going to say. You got this. So for sure, those three were deeply impactful in my life. And the first time I saw Jen Hatmaker preach, I got into my minivan um, and I wept because at that point I had sort of been looking for female preachers a little bit. Um, and I am a, I'm a proud Methodist. I am not a cradle Methodist. I chose this. I love Methodism. I would say most Methodist female preachers that I know, and I think that there are lots who are beginning to break the mold are like, the Barbara Brown Taylor kind of, I know she's an Episcopal, but like the Barbara Brown Taylor kind of yeah. person. They're like thoughtful, you know, and they are carefully, they're, they speak carefully and cautiously and they thought everything out. And I love that and I can learn from that, but that is so not who I am. And so to see a woman who has big earrings and bright lipstick and laughs and like tells um, you know, like mocks herself a little bit in her stories um, was really, really freeing to me. Cause I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. I'm allowed to preach like that. Yeah. When they, when they teased your episode coming on startup, they used the clip of you saying that you wear your clergy collar sometimes to remind yourself not to swear. So I can definitely see your cut from a different cloth. Yes. Yeah. I know I do. I do wear my clergy collar. It's like a filter, like a <laughs> physical filter for me. Like you're going to get in the pulpit, make sure we don't use swears. That's awesome. And that's actually when I thought, when I told my students, my last year of teaching, I was like, I got accepted in the camera school of theology. I'm going to go be a preacher. And so this is even in the classroom when I was trying to tone it down, they were like, you can't be a preacher. You swear too much. <laughs> <laughs> And then I think I shared it. <laughs> he was like, hey, shut the hell up. And then he just laughed. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> I'm awesome. Trying, yeah, I don't know if I'm trying anymore. But I, I don't swear in public because it would freak people out. That's cool. And it would detract from the preaching moment. But if I felt like there was a church where it was appropriate, it would probably happen. There you go. Or are there any <laughs> uh, books, podcasts, or other resources you would recommend our audience check out? No, every bit of my reading and stuff is is goes to school. Um, I will say that if I love the and I I write for them still. It's like the only blogging thing I just couldn't give up for seminary because I just love it so much. Um, she loves magazine is really powerful. Edelette McVicker is the um is that she's the editor there and she's amazing and she is very good at getting all kinds of voices together. It's totally remarkable. All kinds of female voices. So she loves magazine. Definitely. Um, Kelly Nickendeha is coming out with a book about Exodus and the women in Exodus. And I heard her preach on that a year ago over a year ago and it was unreal she it was really really amazing i think you should just watch and read um whatever feeds you 
And I'm a big believer that lots and lots and lots of things can preach. Mm. Yeah. So, um, man, that's Shakira song. That's like, I found love in a broken place. Like that will preach. I, we do find love in a broken place. So, um, one of the things that I think that is, is cool to do and that I, I got from my speech team days is, uh, impromptu speakers kept track of, of they had what they called an impromptu notebook and they just write down anything and everything that spoke to them that they could talk about for a couple minutes. Yeah. And I think that that is really powerful. Absolutely. And lastly, if folks want to get in touch and say hi, or if they want to follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I am at Abby Norman says on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm at abbynorman.net. And then if you're specifically interested in New Hope, um, they are at New Hope Atlanta on Facebook and Instagram. And they are newhopeatlanta.org. Awesome. Well, Abby, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. I had a good time. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.